Gentlemen, welcome to the B-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Denning. I wanted to just share the story and the lessons I learned from the opportunity I had. And really, honestly, it was a privilege, an opportunity, and I feel like a moral responsibility for all of us to, to serve and give back where we can. And, and I had a chance to go down to Cuba after Hurricane Ian. The eye of the hurricane went right through the western part of the island. And the little we knew before going down is they had no power and no running water. So no electricity. And other than that, man, we just could not get much information or many details out of Cuba. It's just, which is kind of, kind of normal from what I understand. It's, it's hard to get a lot of information. So we were excited to get in there and wanted to go down. We knew there, it was kind of a medical mission and we were going down to, to offer help uh, with medications and treatments. Um, so it was, uh, it was a team of three. We went in there to to try to see what we could do, what the needs would be, and we were watching in real time what was happening in Florida. So we anticipated some some real challenges, and so I was I was excited, and we I, I sent some messages out to a few friends and got some generous donations for which I'm extremely grateful, and and you'll hear in the in the report today like that money went to good use and it it went directly to the people. Uh, one of the things I want to say is I, I, I'm working with an organization called Aerial Recovery Group, and I can wholeheartedly recommend them. I've been working with uh, nonprofits and humanitarian organizations now since 2007, I mean 2008, lots and lots of them from India through Central America into Morocco and across Europe and in Asia and Nepal, all over the place. And I've been able to work inside them officially and see what's going on. And, and unfortunately, you know, there's, it's hard, it's hard to run a big organization. It's hard to manage all the funds that come in and, and do good. And, and they, with, with big hearts and great intentions, it's really awesome. They aren't always very efficient and they don't always get the money directly to the people. There's there's often a lot of big admin costs and a lot of waste and a lot of inefficiency and effectiveness. And and I've you know I've with many others have felt the frustration of of that. But I can wholeheartedly now uh, having worked with with Ariel, man, I can recommend them w- with with a total clear conscience and a huge recommendation. So if you're looking for an organization to support and you want to throw some of your uh, your donations, your the giving back, right? I hope at a minimum, I hope all of us are, are paying uh, a tithing, right? A tenth, a tenth of all our income is going back to do good. And more if you can, a higher percentage if you can to to do good. And if you've been looking for a place and you want to make sure your dollars go right to the people and are being used to their, you know, stretching that money as far as humanly possible to help the most people for the longest amount of time and in the most effective way, right? Because there's there's definitely a part where helping hurts and, and giving handouts is demoralizing. And that's not at all what, what they do. So man, I, I, I couldn't couldn't be happier to be working more and more with this organization. And in fact I'm going to a training again uh, this weekend. Next level high level training, right? That's the other thing is they they bring in their volunteers and they say, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna volunteer with us, if you're gonna work with us, we're gonna train you. We're going to get you really skilled um, across the board so that you can be a greater asset and do greater good. So I'm going to another pretty pretty hardcore training uh, this weekend. And then another one, hopefully, 
soon even internationally, right? Just awesome. So we went down there with Team of Three, uh, flew into Miami and with generous donations, just filled duffel bags with uh, medical supplies, tarps to cover roofs because we knew that, you know, t- typically hurricanes just yank roofs off homes and took down some supplies. We knew there was no power, so we took in, you know, our own uh, portable batteries and solar panels to charge our stuff so we could have uh, some communication down there. We took in and what blows my mind, and I want to point this out because it'll be important, is how easy it was for me to go in and spend like $1,500 on just over-the-counter medication, just uh, the, the Benadryl type education, uh, um, medication and like over-the-counter pain medication, uh, acetaminophen, which is like a Tylenol or an ibuprofen or you know cold and flu medications and stomach stuff because usually there's waterborne illnesses and stomach stuff after after that. And it, it was so easy. Like it was so abundant. I just walk into Costco, walk into Walmart, boom, get all kinds of stuff, you know, creams, uh, for itches and bug bites. Cause there'd be a lot of that. And, and for athletes foot, cause the feet are getting wet always in the, in standing water and things like that. It was just all there. I mean, there was so much of it. There were just pallets and pallets of it. And I was able to just get so much to take down, which is amazing. Cause when here in a minute in the story, you'll realize <laughs> that that's, not anywhere near a reality in Cuba. And so we went down there and, and you know, it was, it, it, was, it was a little bit challenging to get in. Uh, we had to get special letters and approvals, had to get the visa, and then we got to the airport. It was, it, was quite a, it was quite a task to get out of the airport. They were scrutinizing us um, thoroughly and scrutinizing what we were bringing in thoroughly, and they, they, they were very, very thorough about it. It took us, took us a good chunk of time to get out of there. And then once we got out, we, we got in this awesome, you know, and it was, oh, I, I just loved it, like all those old cars from the 50s. And it's it, it, it's pretty sad. The, the vast majority of the cars are from the 50s, and they're beautiful, right? You go down there and just saw some absolutely stunning old cars. It's like the whole line is classic. But it's also because a lot of things just stopped in the 50s. They stopped progressing, and, and a lot of the old buildings are just crumbling they were built in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and and they're just crumbling they don't they don't keep them up unfortunately and and there aren't a lot of new cars and there's not a lot of new anything in there which was it was pretty interesting now i've i've been to almost 50 countries i've been in some of the poorest places on the planet and some of the toughest places on the planet some of the most remote places on the planet but cuba's different in so many ways and life changing for me again just a, a total paradigm shift and a reality check but that was kind of the first thing you leave the airport and like all these old cars and then you know russian cars russian vans for for the ambulances and then these kind of cool boxy russian cars there and then all these cars from the 50s and they're still running and running great and then all these little like variations they've made the the creativity they take they take an old car and they turn it into some kind of jeep looking thing and and they create whatever and then there was horses and carts all around and then we got in the countryside um Almost every farmer had had a pair of oxen uh, pulling his plow. It was beautiful. So it really felt like you stepped into a time capsule. And I have to emphasize here, I had literally have nothing but respect and admiration for the Cuban people. They were friendly. Man, they're hardworking. And had, had a great attitude for what, what they're facing after the hurricane and what they're facing in their reality there in the country. And they are resilient and innovative and creative and I was inspired, genuinely inspired by these great people. And so we start heading west um, from Havana, and 
it was miles and miles and miles of mangled power lines. And so as far as, as far as I know, still no power down there. They might get little pockets of power. They were talking about setting up massive generators in like parks or fields and kind of getting power to schools, hospitals, and like those primary locations. But we drove literally for you guys hundreds of miles and that all the power lines were tangled up in the trees. Trees were down everywhere, huge trees just toppled. And their power lines into houses and bent over and busted. And I didn't see anybody the whole time we were there, the full week. I didn't see anybody working on power lines. They were quick in the cities that we went to. They had already made piles of all the trees because I can't, I can't even, it's hard to even comprehend how many trees came down. They just leveled everything. And the people were just hardworking. They just get all the trees, all the branches, put them in the streets. And then the military was coming through in these huge trucks and just picking up all the junk. So these, these teams of soldiers were just going through everywhere and just picking up all the debris that was in the streets. And in the week that I was there, I mean, we, we were driving around piles and trying to make our way down streets to get in to help the people. And, and there was so much debris everywhere. But they had most of the streets cleared by the time we were leaving. It was, it was really impressive. But there, there was no power, and I don't think there is still. And, and out in the countryside, there won't be for a while. And it, it meant there was no running water where they're, they're pumping it in, turning the pumps. And so that was, that was difficult there. Luckily, we'd brought water filters, and so we were able to get access to some water and filter it. And, you know, we had our solar and our battery chargers, so we were able to keep our, our phones charged and our, our gear and equipment charged and stay in comms. So we went in there, and we, we didn't know what to th- to anticipate, we thought there might be a lot of casualties, maybe been a lot of deaths, a lot of injuries. And we get in there, we went to the clinics, and they said, no, we, no casualties at all, none. I'm like, well, what about injuries, all the people that got hurt? And they're like, nope, there weren't any. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, okay, what about waterborne illnesses and all these things? And they're like, well, there's there's an increase in dengue, but dengue was already happening, right, from mosquito-borne stuff. But, like, we're monitoring the, the drinking water. Like, they're good. And we found out what had happened is like before the hurricane hit, they had everyone go to safe houses, either to community safe houses. They just went to these these concrete homes or off to family members who had fully concrete homes. And it was incredible. I mean, a lot of them lost their homes and especially lost the roofs off their homes. But they all went to safe houses. It, it was amazing. Everybody did. And then it was after it was over, we went out and we were able to talk to them and hear their stories. I, I talked to a lot of different families and, and their stories and, and hear from them. And uh, one gentleman, he was in his 80s, he told me this is the fourth one he, he's been through, he's lived through, and it was the worst one by far. And they were right in the eye of the storm. And so I think, you know, somewhere around 130 mile an hour winds. And then they said for an hour and 20 minutes, it was just blue skies and perfectly calm inside the eye of the storm. And then it came again. Boom. One doctor we talked to said he saw he saw huge rocks flying through the air. I mean, twice the size of a microwave, just flying through the air. He was he was peeking out and saw an entire roof yanked off a house and carried off into the mountains. And wherever we went, you know, they it had just mowed down their crops. So all the banana trees, of course, were toppled. All the avocado trees and palm trees were were over um, coffee fields, just leveled. Yucca fields went to help this one farmer, and the yucca fields were just completely plowed over. And they, man, they lost a, a lot of food, which is a big deal here, as we'll hear in a minute. 
So it was it, it was fascinating to see that and drive drive all that distance and see the destruction of the the trees and the crops, and the homes. Uh, any of you know all the they do a lot of tobacco there, and all the tobacco sheds are just kind of these wood, big tall wooden structures, and every one every single one we saw was just toppled over, just demolished, and. Yeah, there, there was a lot of destruction, but the people were up and resilient and, you know, cleaning up and going about their lives. It was amazing to see them, especially towards the end of the week. They were starting to gather again in the town square, and they were out um, trying to, you know, if, if they had some, a few of them had little generators that they were running, and so they would know, play a little music and have a light on, and, and which was really awesome, they were gathering anyone who had a vehicle, and not, not very, very few people own vehicles, uh, the government the, as the, or the state, they call it, uh, owns most of the vehicles. But whoever had vehicles or generators, it was just this community gathering. They were, hey, come over, charge your phones, charge whatever you need to, and gather around. I mean, just, just a real community support, and they're helping each other, which was absolutely incredible. We had the, the privilege to go around. We wanted to see um, especially the rural clinics and the, and the clinics in the city where that were most affected and wanted to see what was going on. And what was so impactful to me as we went into uh, these these larger clinics and then kind of the big the big clinic and we asked them you know what kind of uh, medication they had available and gentlemen they had little or nothing and as far as pain management none of them and, and we're talking clinics that are responsible for well over 20,000 people did not have any pain management medication and, and just think about that for a minute. Think about how often and how easily in our family we, we go, in our, you know, your family, my family, we, we can go pick up some, some Tylenol or some ibuprofen. And if, I mean, anything from, from a headache to some inflammation to a small injury to a cut. And, or, I mean, heaven forbid, something worse, a, a broken bone, sprained ankle or wrist or or you have to have a surgery i mean something really bad goes wrong with you just some severe severe pain there was no pain medication available and that man that hit me hard very very few if any antibiotics available uh, one clinic that was responsible for about a thousand people he had zero sutures nothing and it was out in a farming community there you know there's going to be cuts and he literally had no way. He didn't even have the, the needle drivers to put the sutures in. And, and he was like, oh, man. And we, we were asking him, well, what, would, what would help you out? Because, okay, here's the other thing I want to point out. They were very, very well-educated and very skilled. Like, they didn't need our skills down there. Their, their doctors are, are top-notch. We, we were very impressed. They're very knowledgeable, very skilled. So it wasn't a lack of education. It wasn't a lack of skills. It's a lack of resources. And they didn't have any. And... and uh, this is what astounded me, having traveled as extensively as I have. You know, I've, I've seen all kinds of different economies and different societies and civilizations. They didn't have pharmacies. You can't just go to the corner pharmacy. Like, you go, you go through Central America, South America, Asia. There's pharmacies everywhere, especially in Mexico and Central America, South America, man. <laughs> there's, there's pharmacies on every corner, and it's so inexpensive. You can get access to medication easy often without any kind of prescriptions you can just go right in and talk to pharmacists and get what you need it's incredible there weren't there weren't any nothing you couldn't get it not even if you had money you couldn't get it 
and it was it, man, it was astounding to me. And so we were so excited because we had brought several duffel bags just packed full of pain medication and other kinds of medications, antibiotics, and some suture kits, and you know other other resources that our team had brought in. It was you guys. It was so amazing. And so those of you who donated, your money went to a place that needed it so desperately, to situations and people who genuinely, desperately needed it. And and what's interesting, that wasn't necessarily an effect of, of the hurricane. It's just an effect of, of how things are, are going there. And, well, let me, let me go to... So we went in, and, and I just want to give you a picture here. We went into this one, multiple places, and they literally had almost nothing... You probably have more in your own personal bathroom cabinet as far as medical needs than they did in these clinics. You, you, you and I, we can go pick up all kinds of awesome bandages and splints and creams and medicines. and <laughs> You can walk into any grocery store and pick up cheaply and abundantly grab way more than they had access to. And it was interesting. I mean, they're they're tough. Those guys are tough people, and they they make do with very little. So it was it was so exciting and so inspiring to see them and and to leave that stuff right. Really, really cool. So that I mean, it went to very 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 good use there, and yeah, just I couldn't couldn't be more pleased with the the ability we had to leave so much because you you just walk in like Costco has that little two set. You just grab two pills. That's a thousand capsules, a thousand capsules of pain medication. I mean, to them, that will last. They, they were telling us, like, this will be months. It'll last months because they preserve it and protect it and use it so, so sparingly. Man, it, it was awesome. So that, that was a really great, great aspect of that. And, and again, driving home, um, two, two gigantic takeaways from this trip. And number one is, a deep, deep gratitude for things we take for granted. And I've had that before. I've been in the, the shanty towns in Casablanca, and I've been in the colonies of the people affected by leprosy in India, and been in the tiny, remote, just poorest villages of Guatemala and Peru, and into orphanages in the Dominican Republic, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here... It wasn't that there's. That's why I keep telling people. It wasn't that there was a shortage in the stores. It was that there are no stores. And so I'll switch to another story to, to illustrate this even farther. We, after we had kind of get that settled, we we had one evening. We're like, and I brought some tarps down, and so man, let's let's go, let's go put some some coverings on some roofs. Some people had lost their roofs, and 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 they were just exposed to the sun and the wind and the rain. So we went over to this one gentleman's house that there was a contact with our guide and we went up to help and offer and, and he said, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was really inspiring. He's like, no, nope. he's like, look, my, my house needs it, but I'm young and I can do this myself. I can take care of it. I'll make this happen. Let's go find someone else who, who's not, who needs help more than I do, which was so inspiring. And so he led us through these fields that all the trees were blown over, the crops were destroyed and he led us down the hill and we went to this little uh this little little farm down there with a couple of houses and the roofs were blown off and uh there was a 
it was pretty sad. It was, it was actually really sad. It was, it was poignant and telling. There was a, a dead puppy sitting on the porch, and the body was still there, and which, which was which was telling, right? And just that was symbolic of a lot of things. And so we went down there, and this older gentleman was um, he's he was eighty five. No, he was turning eighty three, right? And we went down there, and we, you know, he walked down, introduced him, and said, "Hey, they have some tarts they want to help." And he's like, "Oh, wow, oh man, that would be great." I just don't have the money. And like, no, no, it's a, it's a gift. And you should have seen his face, just light up, like, what, what? And you can tell, like, this doesn't happen often, and and understandably, right? This because there's just such a gigantic lack of resources. And he was blown away, like, they're they're just going to give it to me? He's like, okay, thanks, you know? And they're like, well, let's go put it on. He's like, well, wait, like, right now? They're like, yeah, we'll go do it. And he's like, I, I can't do that. He's like, no, we're going to do it. And he, again, his face just lights up, like, wait, you're going to get on my roof and cover it for me? It was it was incredible. And so, you know, we asked, we start asking for tools again, thinking the way we think because you can you can get hammers and tools and crowbars anywhere, everywhere for so cheap. And and he went and pulled out some tools that he had made. Um, they'd made a they'd made their own hammer and their own crowbar. And so I climbed up on the roof. They'd made their own ladder uh, out of wood, out of you know, tr- out of tree branches. It was actually pretty incredible. And and so I climbed up on the roof and we pulled out uh, the old nails. So I was just there was some some old rusty nails that had been holding down the. Um, it's just the corrugated tin, the tin roofs. So I was pulling those out so we could put the tarps down. And then we, we got it all covered. The tarps fit perfectly, and it, it was just huge to see them just lit up and saying, "Oh, they were, you know, they're like, oh, we can we can sleep in here tonight again, and and get out of the sun and the rain, and I'll oh, get in here." And and all their stuff was just blown everywhere and just wet, and, and they lost a lot of stuff. It some of the houses we went in, the hurricane had just sucked their belongings, their their furniture, the kids' toys, their clothing, just gone, just pulled it right out of there. So what was left was just scattered everywhere and just filthy and wet and ruined their beds and their furniture and all their things. And so to be able to cover up what was left and help them, you know, get straightened up. And, we, and some of the group just pulled out brooms and swept and cleaned everything up and started organizing. We were able to cover it up. Well, to hold to hold the roofs down, we, we needed to nail down some boards over it to hold the tarps down. And so I said, I, I turned to him. I said, hey, where, where can we get some nails? And I don't think I'll ever forget this look. He just looked at me and he's like, there are no nails. Almost like, he's like, what What are you talking about? Like, duh, idiot. <laughs> there are no nails. And I was like, and again, I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around. I'm like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Where, like, where's the hardware store? He's like, there's no store. I'm like, oh, okay, do we need to, do we need to ask for some, order some from the, from the Capitol? Do we need to have somebody bring us out some nails so we can get this going? And he looked at me, he's like, hey, man, you don't get it. There are no nails. And, and that's when it sunk in deeply. If they get any resources, it'll be because the government trucks come around and sell it to them. And if they don't come around, there's no resources. And it started to hit and hit hard. And then, boy, we, we got talking about how they were just so hungry. And even our guides, they they didn't they didn't eat or drink. I just kept noticing. I'm like, what's going on? And we were sharing our food, and I'm like, they don't eat. Or drink. I'm like, what? Tell me about the food situation. 
And as far as I could gather and understand, there's no grocery stores. You don't, you can't just go to the store and get whatever you want. You go to the warehouse, is what they call it, and you have one week of the month that you're, is your assigned week, and you can go, you go once during that week to go pick up your bucket of supplies. And they give you what, whatever they give you. You don't get to go in and pick and choose and say, well, I'd like a few of those and a few of those and some of that. You go in and they give you that and you pay for it. And you go home and, and that's what you have to have until next month, until your week next month. And if you, they told me, if you miss your week, that's it. Too bad you can't go back, can't make up, nothing. You've got to wait till the following month to your week. And they hand you out some grains, some simple things and some vegetable oil. I mean, really interestingly, things that are really, really not good for your health. Which was also interesting as we were going around visiting the clinics, there was a lot, an, an exorbitant amount of diabetes and high blood pressure. Not that the people weren't overweight. And there, there's not an overweight obesity problem. But it was the it was those vegetable oils and, and the grains. It was really fascinating and, and insightful. And so there's there was very little food resources, which makes it even worse because the storm leveled and ruined so so many crops and so there's a, there's a real food problem and and then you can't even get simple things like tools and and nails even that that one just hit me so hard you guys like it's i don't know like I, there's a lot of things i'm like okay i've come back from trips and things like oh yeah i'm not taking that for granted anymore like toilets right oh man uh, when we were on our trip trekking up to the base camp of everest and my son was he get he got a he got, it was he puked a couple of times and then it got diarrhea and we're like oh man you'll never and and I did that in Peru too when I was younger and oh man never ever gonna take a toilet for granted or running water or hot water or all these good things we have and drinking water right but nails or even just it, variety at a grocery store but now this is the case even a store because. Almost everywhere else I've been in the world, there's been some kind of store. There's some, been some kind of commerce, some kind of economy that the people are involved in. But not there. It was, it was unbelievable. So then, again, so I'm just deep, deep gratitude. And I, and I want to pass this along to you because it was so, uh, had such an effect on me. It's like, Everything, everything within your touch right now, wherever you're listening to this, if you're listening to your car or in your kitchen or out on a run, look around. Everything from the clothes you have on to, you know, I'm sitting here at my desk and my microphone and my, my iMac and my camera and my iPhone and all these books I have and my hat and photographs. I mean, and, and journals and paper and pens and chocolate. We, 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 we pulled out some jerky and we said, hey, you want some? To, to our one of our guides. And he was like, what's that? Like, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? You don't know what jerky is? And he's, he was looking at it weird. Like, what is it? I'm like, it's meat. You know, it looks weird. And he was giving us this weird glance. I was like, try it. It's amazing. And, and he took a bite. And then he, you just see him, his face just light up. And he, he looks at us and says in English, it's amazing, right? It's like, wow. So the first time in his life, he didn't even know what it was. First time in his life, he's, he's sitting in this van with us and tried some jerky. And 
I, I, you know, I've taken jerky for granted. And not only jerky, we're not just eating any old jerky. We're eating this the nice grass-fed jerky. And it, it just it just blew my mind. All these little things and clothes. I mean, everything you think of the the things that are so easy for us to get things we just get and throw out. We have so much abundance. If something breaks or cracks or is a little less effective or gets old or worn down or a little little frayed or whatever, whew, in the garbage it goes. They don't they don't have that luxury. They keep it and make it work and fix it up and make it last. It was inspiring and humbling. Very, very humbling. And so I started asking. I wanted, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a very curious person and a sponge for learning and education and understanding. And so I was just asking all the questions I could ask and trying to understand every bit of it I could in a short time and talking to everyone I could and trying to get as much information as I could. And, and I wanted to understand uh, their economy and their jobs. And I found out university is free. It's included. Anyone who wants to go can. And education is good. And then I started asking about careers and started asking. Uh, right when I got there, I started asking about, you know, what do they earn? And if you have a college degree and a decent job, you make about $30 a month. $30 a month for the good jobs. And then I just like, whoa, I was trying to wrap my head around that. And then asking a lot about, um, you know, who's, who's the highest paid? What's the best career? What's, you know, where's the money? How do we get the money in here? I'm just thinking, you know, my entrepreneurial mind. I'm like, how do we get the money? How do we hustle? Who, who's got the best career? And, and they're like, well, I, th- I think it's the doctors. The doctors get paid the best. And I'm like, okay, great. How much, how much do doctors make? You know, they go to school for eight or 12 years. How much do doctors make? And he said, 60 bucks a month. Physicians. Specialists, even surgeons. These doctors who are, are sharp and are serving, and, and we we just found a, a genuine love and concern for the people. They really wanted to help the the people they were serving. For all those years of study and sacrifice and service, and and they they have their clinics. You know, they're they're accessible. They come and wake them up in the middle of the night. And anytime they catch them walking down the street, whatever. Hey, doctor, help me with this. Help me with that. Sixty dollars a month. I was like, well, can't, can't they earn more? What can they do to earn more? And they're like, they can't. I'm like, well, can't you hustle? Can't you open a business? Can't you get stuff? He's like, well, yeah, you could, but where are you going to get supplies? Where are you going to get your materials? If you open a store, what, like, where are you going to get stuff to sell? You, you can't get it. Now, now they have a black market. They've set up a, a black market, kind of an underground secret market there. These guys are hustlers and innovators, man. It's awesome. <laughs> so they have a black market, but everything is extremely expensive and kind of sneaky, right? They have, to, they have to kind of sneak it in if they want to get anything else. There's not a, just an inflow of importations and other things going on. There's not, there's not a, a big flowing economy and, and commerce there. And I'm like, well, who's, who's making any money? He's like, well, if, if people start making extra money, it, whether whether somebody from outside of the country is sending money in or, or they figure out some way to, to earn some extra money or something, he says they have this program every year. They go around and kind of they, they level, level down the rich people. Anyone who seems to be making extra money, like, hey, what's going on here? You seem to have more money to remodel your house and fix up your thing and buy more stuff. What's going on? And they go around and they, they level the playing field and bring you back down. It's just they, they don't progress. So, so as as much and it was beautiful. This one lady said I was I was praising them, and she said, "Yeah, the Cubans are made of hardwood. 
And I was like, oh, that's so true. That's awesome. They really are just wonderful, resilient, tough people. But there were some other people also said, yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to progress here. And so that was the, the second thing I came home with, gentlemen, and I want to pass along, that you and I, we have a moral obligation to rise and succeed simply because we can. If for no other reason, we have to rise and succeed, we have to win because we can. There are places in this world, and it's like 90 miles off our southern border, where no matter how much effort and how much education, how much hustle and how much ingenuity and creativity, you can't rise. You can't win. You can't really thrive. And so we have to. We have to because we can. Right? Now, I'm sure there's a lot I don't understand. I was there for a week. I asked many questions I can. I met with a lot of people. But you'd have to live there to really understand it. Uh, We met a lady who... She created this documentary years ago because surfing was illegal for a very long time. And from what I understand, it's it's still, it's not quite recognized as a sport yet. It's not quite legal, but they don't enforce the illegality anymore. But before, they used to chase you down and bust you. And, and the secret police are active. They followed us around. They were watching what we were doing. And, and, it's, and it's a beautiful place. I want to go back. It's absolutely stunning. I loved the, the countryside, I mean, obviously we were out at the beaches. I didn't see any beaches, and we didn't go to the, the beautiful places. But, man, just driving around, I saw some stunning, stunning landscapes. And then I saw some videos and pictures. I want to go back. And I loved the Cuban people and the, the whole vibe, the whole experience. And, and the, even the, the whole time capsule aspect of it was just so, so picturesque and so beautiful and, and such a cool experience. I want to go back. I want to take my family back. It was, it was amazing. And again, I have nothing but respect and admiration for the people. But it was a reality check. And it was a reminder to be deeply, deeply grateful for what we have and to step up with that moral obligation we have to rise and succeed. We have to do our best, gentlemen. And we take things for granted and we allow ourselves to to be lazy and slack off and settle for less and acquiesce when you think, man, the, some of the people are working so hard and so diligently doing everything they can just to survive. What would they do with our opportunities? What would they do with our privileges? Somebody who has so few opportunities, what would they do if given a chance to step into our shoes and have access to almost unlimited, almost infinite opportunities that you and I have. And how, how often are we squandering those? Because our lives are so easy and so comfortable, so abundant. So there, there, was a lot, there was a lot to learn, a lot to think about. And I hope, I hope you'll rise, and I hope you'll be extremely generous. And I hope you'll develop your skill set and your knowledge and your resources so that you have more than enough to give, to give of yourself, to give of your time, to give of your money and resources, your talents and skills and abilities. I hope you'll look for opportunities to serve and make a difference and lift those right around you in your neighborhood and abroad. And if, if you don't go yourself, at least you know, fund and support those, those organizations who do or taking those resources in and getting on the ground. I, I fully plan on doing this for the foreseeable future. 
where where there's a disaster, either a man-made disaster or a natural disaster, I want to be boots on the ground first thing, helping people who are in great need because, you know, people have helped me. I've been had so many blessings in my life and so many resources, so many opportunities. And so I feel a moral obligation and a responsibility to take advantage of these opportunities and privileges to go make a difference, go serve. So, and again, uh, humanitarian efforts happen across the board from the very poorest people to the very wealthiest. There's extremely wealthy people who need, they need philanthropy as well, whether it's uh, emotional or mental or, or disasters happen in their lives as well that money doesn't fix. And there are pains and illnesses and, and hurts that aren't just physical, but emotional or spiritual or social or whatever. So philanthropy happens at every level of life. And let's, let's be a great force for good in the world, gentlemen. That's a, that's a motto for our family and a particularly important aspect of our lives to be a great force for good. And we can do it all the time. And let's, let's take on this responsibility and opportunity to prepare ourselves to be a great force for good and go out and make a difference. So love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for caring. Thanks for, for being, for being great men and for the, the caliber of men you are that you can make a positive impact in the world and leave every place and every person better than you found them. So let's make this happen. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do that. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review up to five stars. Share this with uh, friends, family, and colleagues, people who need it. He need to hear this. Uh, get these reminders. So, so as a group, as a community, as a brotherhood, we can literally be this force of nature in the world to to do good and create good and be good. And, and think, just think, if. The, the combined effort of all of us in doing a little bit each day to make the world a better place. It has a, a gigantic effect. And for all the crap that's happening on the planet, we can do a lot of good. So let's get out and make it happen. Love you guys. Thanks for being here. Be amazing.